Hi there, you're listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. TCC, a home for you. All right, it's good to see everybody this morning. Hey, you know what, let's do something real quick. I just feel like um, there's still part of that moment, making room for God. Just shut your eyes for a second. Our lives sometimes are so busy, we miss the moments where God can have our heart. There's a supernatural work when we make room for God and he has our heart. Just shut your eyes for a minute. And just pray this prayer with your own lips, with your own breath. Lord, I welcome you today. I welcome you in my life. I welcome you in my heart. Give him permission today. Welcome him. Now just in a moment, let's just let the Holy Spirit just kind of set our hearts. The Bible says to be still and know that he's God. Elder Neal said something very profound. He said that we, we allow God to get into the center position of our heart. That means this. God is not something that we do. He's not one of the things that orbits around us. He is the center. We orient our life around him. So do me a favor. Allow the spirit to do that work in you. I can tell you what that means, beloved. That means this. Life will get a lot more exciting when you orient your life around God. Things will shift. Things will change. Lean into him. Allow the spirit to do what he wants to do in you. Amen? That's a posture that we need to have as a church. God is exciting. Anybody, if you are bored with your faith, I don't understand what it means to be bored with your faith. My faith is anything but boring. Jesus, to me, you know, right, the life of the believer is like, you ever go to like the amusement park and you get on that coaster and what do they tell you? Keep your hands and your feet inside the car. Who puts their feet outside the car? That, that's another story. Get in the car, hold on and see what God does. That's what our faith is like. Trust me. If you trust him and you allow him to be the center, not only will your life not be boring, but you will change the world. That's the goal, to change the world. All right. A couple things real quick before we get rolling, just to, to tag along with some of the things that Jenna had said. Um, so we have about 150 reg- or 1,500 registrants right now. Last year for our event, about a third of our people registered. Do the math. It means we have a lot of people showing up with their egg baskets going, can we come to the hunt and what do we say? Yes, yes absolutely. You can, you're going to have a bowl. So we need your help with that. Uh, financially, we're getting close. This is the opportunity if God's been speaking to your heart uh, to give, you need to give. You know, everything that we do here is free for our community. There's no gain for it. So if God's putting on your heart to give a little bit extra for the egg hunt, uh, do that. Uh, chocolate, bunny, uh, or candy, uh, bikes, all that stuff. We need your help. And don't forget, this is a great opportunity for you to invite your friends, your neighbors, the people you know to church. We've got all the candy crush stuff out there. If you've given out your two and you've got more neighbors on your block, we've got some extras now. You could take two or three more, hand them out to your friends, your neighbors, uh, your mailman, your, your garbage people, whoever it is. Um, and invite them to come to know who Jesus is. What better gift could you give anybody than eternal life? Right? I don't know what it's like. We feel a little nervous. We get, you know, well, Pastor, I'm a little nervous. I'm a little, you know, I don't want anybody to think bad of me. You're giving them eternal life. What's better than that? You know, nothing. Nothing's better than that. All right, let's keep rolling. Um, so we are finishing up today our, 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 our theme called Flourish. It's the heart of God that, that we as believers don't just squeak by in life, but it's God's heart that we, uh, we live abundant life. God did not give you survival. He gave you life and life to the fullest. 
And I think when you look at uh, creation, creation is a living example of what that looks like for us as believers. Everything on the earth was, you know, when, when it was created to multiply abundantly. Even when, when, when God looked at Adam and Eve, what did he say? Be what? Be fruitful and multiply. Go and subdue the earth. And they did. And here we are today. So I would like to think about every springtime, I like to, to partner with God. Now, I do that in the way of a garden. Now, how many of you are fellow gardeners? You know? I, saw, I put a meme on the Facebook. I saw it was the greatest, greatest thing ever. It said, planting your own tomatoes. You invest three months of your life so you can save $2.17. How many of you people are like that, right? It's $2.17, right? And I don't know about you, but every year for me, the garden, it's the same rhythm. This is what the rhythm looks like. I get out there. I can't wait to get my hands in the dirt, prepare the soil. Um, you know, I, get my, I have a little rototiller. It's called a mantis. It's a small little thing, and it's, just, it's, it's fierce, and it digs up the dirt and kicks everything around. And I'll get out there and prepare this little thing, and then I'll go shop for plants. I don't, I don't grow them from seed. My dad does. I have all the equipment to do it. My dad get, left me all that. My dad left me two things, stuff to do you know, greenhouse things with and bills. That's what he left me. He was beautiful, beautiful guy. Um, so I'll get all my little plants, and I'll stick them in the, in the ground. And what do you do after you stick the, plant, the plants in the ground? What do you do? Yeah, you water, but what, what do you do? You wait. You observe, and what do you look for? Fruit. The first fruits of the season. So last year, I told you about my story. Rob Townsend introduced me to mushroom soil. Dan Varnell gave me nuclear tomato plants, you know, hybrid tomato plants. <clears throat> so I remember distinctly, I'd go out there, check like, you know, Christmas morning, every morning to see if, I, if there's some fruit on the vine. And lo and behold, I remember the first day I saw a fruit coming out of the garden. I had two tomatoes, a cucumber, and the makings of a beautiful zucchini. So what do you do in our day and age when you, you see the spoils of the garden? What do you do? You put it on Facebook, Instagram, you let everybody know, look what I have produced. I am a man of the earth, right? Have you ever done that? And I was so proud, and I still remember my first little, my little picture, the cute little groupings of fruit. It was just great. I'm like, this is going to be wonderful. But then this crazy thing happened. As the, as the season went on, the garden continued to produce fruit and vegetables, cauliflower the size of my head. Do you see the size of my head? That one piece of cauliflower could feed like a small village for a week. You know what I'm talking about? And the garden became overwhelming to where I didn't know what to do with all the fruit. Has anybody ever been there? The vegetables are pouring out, the zucchini, the squash, the cucumbers, the tomatoes went, went crazy. They just went nuts. I was bagging vegetables up and giving them to my neighbors. My neighbors were like, don't give us any more of your stinking vegetables. We can't handle it all. I could have fed like a small nation from my garden. I didn't know. So by the end of the season, I started out with the cute little pictures of fruit. By the end of the season, I'm throwing like tomatoes over the hill because I got so much stuff. Has anybody here experienced that? It's plant too much. Abundance. God designs, again, things to grow that are healthy. You grow and you produce fruit. We see that in the natural realm, and that's the heart of God for all believers. To have so much of him, there's an abundance. The God we serve is just not, not just enough. He's the God of abundance always. So we taste him and we pass him along. Psalm 34 8 says this, taste and see that the Lord is good. All the joys of those who take refuge in him. Romans 15, 13, I think, frames it beautiful for us. It says, now may the God 
May God, the fountain of hope, fill you to overflowing with uncontainable joy and perfect peace as you trust him. And may the power of the Holy Spirit continually surround your life with his superabundance until you radiate hope. I love that word, superabundance. What is abundance? Abundance is the fruit that God gives us, of God moving in us and through us. And we call that practically fruit. God created us as believers to be fruitful. It's the fruit that we produce that's a sign that shows us that we're exactly where God wants us to be. So what does this process of bearing fruit look like in the life of a believer? Because all of us are called to bear fruit. So what does it look like for us? If you've got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 15. This is one of the most beautiful sections in Scripture. And if you ever struggle to understand what it looks like and what it means to be a Christian... You can anchor yourself to John 15. This is, this is the secret sauce. This is the formula. This is how it works. The words of Jesus, he said this in John 15, 1. I am a true sprouting vine, and the farmer who tends to the vine, or the farmer who tends to the vine is my father. He cares for the branches connected to me by lifting up and propping up the fruitless branches and pruning every fruitful branch to yield a greater harvest. The words I have spoken over you have already cleansed you. Verse 4, so you must remain in life union with me, for I remain in life union with you. For as a branch severed from the vine will not bear fruit, so your life will be fruitless unless you live your life intimately joined with mine. Verse 5, I'm the sprouting vine, you're my branches. As you live in union with me as your source, fruitfulness will stream from within you. But when you live separated from me, you are powerless. Have you ever struggled in your Christian life and you felt powerless? Most of the time when you feel powerless and unfruitful, it means one big thing. You have been disconnected from the vine. Something is wrong with the connection if you're not producing fruit. Why? Because this passage gives us an insight on what it looks like for the life of believers to produce fruit. Now know this, all of us are working out our faith. So that means this, none of us are in the same place. All of us work out our faith with fear and with trembling. And we're at different stages when it comes to bearing fruit. Some of us are just, you know, are fruitful like my garden last year. You're just, you, know, you have so many tomatoes, you don't know what to do with it. Some of you have found yourself in a place, you're a believer, you love God with all of your heart, but the fruit that you're producing isn't like that nuclear fruit, and you don't know what to do. So what does this passage tell us about how we can be adjusted so that we can produce fruit, all of us? First is this. For a believer that's in Christ that doesn't bear fruit, what does he do? He props us up. What does it mean to be propped up? Well, you guys know that I'm a word nerd. So if you look at the Greek here, for that word to prop up that we look at or lift up, it's adio, which actually means this, to raise up, to take up, to lift. So what does God do here with unfruitful branches that don't bear fruit? They're connected to the vine. The, the scripture is very clear to it. What does he do with those things? He lifts them and brings them back to health. Why does God want to bring you back to health if you're connected to him? Because he loves you. He wants you to bear fruit. That's his heart for you. So the goal for us as believers is to stay connected to the vine um, and to produce fruit. But let's just be real. Sometimes we find ourselves connected to the vine. We find ourselves in less than ideal places, like branches. Sometimes life is a way of beating us down, even as believers. Have you ever, you know, you remember, you know, sometimes Christians, we just say weird things. 
We have our little, we have our little, our little like, you know, our little seasons and our little sayings and things that happen. How many of you remember the what would Jesus do bracelets? I don't know. What do you think? What would Jesus do? And those were great, right? We even have our little phrases and our sayings. I remember when we went through the season where the, the response was, you know, how are you doing? And what was the response? I'm blessed and highly favored. How many of you said that and you weren't feeling blessed and you didn't feel highly favored? But you said it. Why did you say it? Well, it's just what you say, you know, because, you know, I can't let people in. I can't let people into my true condition. Can we just be real for a second? Just us. By the way, everybody online. Hello. We're very intimate, you know, us here, the, few, the hundreds that are here and then those that are online. Can we just be real for a second? It's okay to tell somebody in life that things aren't going well. That doesn't mean you're not a believer. You know what that makes you? Human. So that's okay. You can say that. In fact, I would ask you to say that. Do you know why? If you put up a shield and we don't know what's going on in your life, how can we join together and help each other get to the other side? What did Paul say? Paul said this. He said, I celebrate my weakness, but I, put my, I boast in God. I put my hope in God. So don't be afraid to celebrate your weakness. Read the Psalms. Look at David. David is the poster child for ups and downs, right? Don't be afraid to share your heart. So sometimes as believers, we have, we have bad days. Some days the vine the, you know, does its thing and the branches find themselves in places that they don't want to be in. Now anybody from that region of the world that dealt with, with grapes would deal with what it's called, what's called vine dressing. Now vine dressing is, is simple. It's a term for those that, you know, that, that for you to care for, 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 the, for the vines, the, you know, the grape vines. We would call those, uh, those vine dressers. Or for those of you that are very, you know, uppity-uppity, we call them bitter culturists. You know, bitter culturists, which is, means you mess with vines. And they have one goal, to keep the vine healthy and to, pr- to have it produce fruit. That's it. That's the only goal of a vine dresser. And they have this understanding. It's a, it's a part of a natural law, and it's part of what we believe as believers. Healthy things grow. If the vine is healthy, it's it's got great conditions, it will produce fruit, amazing fruit, abundant fruit. So if you see grapes and you see grape vines, I don't know about you people, but my people, the Greek people, we we enjoy the fruit of the vine. Not just the grapes, we also eat the leaves. How many of you have ever had a stuffed grape leaf? If you've been to my house, some of you have had those. We make those at the Harris house. Uh, the worst thing my mother did one day, my mother did not grow up Greek, she was Italian, and we had grapevines in the back of our house growing up, and the grapevines were right next to an oak tree, and my mother did not know the difference between the, the grape leaves and the oak leaves, and she made a bunch of grape leaves with oak, have you ever eaten oak leaf? You can't, it's not very good. So it was, it was a great week, a great holiday in the Harris house that year, I'll tell you that. It was a great holiday. So again... The goal is to have healthy grapes, healthy fruit. Vines produce the healthiest fruit when they're suspended out of the dirt. The grapes, the fruit just hangs down the way that it is. You've all seen the pictures. You've seen how it is. That's just how grape vines do best. Now, every once in a while, one of those branches would fall off the system that would hold it up, and it would find itself in the dirt. Maybe the wind would blow. Maybe an animal would run by, regardless of the, of the situation. Sometimes it finds itself in a less than ideal place. So when the grapevine finds itself in the dirt, in an unhealthy place, the fruit that it produces is affected. 
It either fails to produce fruit or the little fruit that it does produce is unhealthy and it rots quickly. So how do they get the vine back to health? Well, the process for unfruitful branches in our plant world is very simple. They lift the branches out of the dirt. They lift them, get them un- you know, back to connection where they need to be so that they can redress them. That means to retie them up where they're supposed to be and to get them healthy again. So if you stick with this metaphor, you know, the branches, you know, the, the physical branches that fall to the ground don't produce fruit because they're in the dirt, they're covered, and they can't receive sunlight. For us as believers, you can be connected to Christ and maybe not be producing fruit because you're stuck in the dirt and you're unable to see the sun, Christ. You're unable to focus on Christ. Because let's just be real. You can be a believer and sometimes be overwhelmed by your circumstances. Have you ever had worry take you captive? Have you ever had fear take you captive? You know, I told a story probably about a year ago now. I had a good, good friend of mine, Father George. He was a Greek Orthodox priest. And we just, I, I would know George every time I'd go back home to Pittsburgh. I'd see him for christenings and weddings and stuff like that. And he would always say, hey, we got to bring you back to the fold, bring you back to the Greek church. And I, I'm a fan of those big hats. I am. And robes, they're cool. But I'm like, yeah, no, I'm on a different path. Uh, and we would always have a cordial uh, connection. And one day I got a message from him. He said, hey, can I talk to you a little bit? He just got word back uh, from his doctor that he, had, uh, he was diagnosed with cancer, leukemia. And uh, he told me, he said, man, I don't, it's hard for me to share this with my people. He said, I've prayed for a lot of people to be healed from cancer. He says, but I, I'm struggling to carry this. He says, can we talk every once in a while? I said, Absolutely. Um, how many of you know that sometimes we have faith for other people, but when it comes to us, it's a little tougher to consume. So he and I had some beautiful conversations. We would talk. Um, there were some tears that were exchanged. Now the Lord sought fit to bring George home and, uh, just a beautiful, beautiful man. Sometimes as believers, we find ourselves in overwhelming positions and it's hard to see the sun. It's hard to find the sun. You can be in Christ and be busy, afraid, worried, distracted, stressed. Sometimes those things cause us to lose our first love, that first connection point. When you lose sight of Christ, beloved, it affects your fruit. It just does. So what is the remedy for, for branches that are connected to the vine, but they're just not producing fruit. God. He's the gardener that lifts people up. He is. He lifts us up. Now, this is one cool thing for us as a church. God is the one that orchestrates everything. But as a church, guess what? We get to help. We get to help those people that are struggling. This is why we have to be real with each other. This is why we've got to bear one another's burdens. This is why we, we don't think independently. We think interdependently. And we get outside of our little comfort zones and we love people. This is why the big, the, you know, we have our big three. We love God and people extravagantly. We're committed to growing in our faith, helping somebody else to grow. And then what else do we do? We share our lives and our stories with others. When you share your life with somebody else, you are practically being the hands and the feet of Christ, helping them to not just grow, but lifting them up in dark times. How many of you have ever found yourself in a dark place and you had a brother or sister or somebody lift you up? I have. It's important. 
Be that person. As a church, we get to help. Sometimes as churches, and this is terrible, shame on us, people hit bumps, and you know what we do? We, we, we cut them off. That's not the heart of God. It's just not. It's not the heart of God to cut people off because they mess up, because they hit turbulent waters. Let's be more like God. What does God do? God reaches down, he lifts people up, he brushes them off, and he points them again in the proper direction. Let's get you back to life. That's the heart of God. Psalm 42 says this, he lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. That's the heart of God for us, to steady us, to get us back to health so that we can produce fruit. So the next time you find yourself in a dark place, I want you to do two things. I want you to remember, first, God loves you. He loves you enough to lift you. And two, this is why the church exists. This is why we suck air, to help, to pe- to help the, to pick people up inside and outside. That's why we do what we do. I love this. This is Psalm 3.3. It says this. It says, but you, O Lord, are a shield for me. You're the glory and the one that lifts my head up high. Get your head out of the dirt. Put your head onto the eyes of Jesus. Get your head out of the dirt, out of your situation, out of your shame, out of your stuff. He, he sticks down there. He puts his hand underneath your chin, and he says, son, daughter, look at me. It's going to be okay. Allow God to do that for you. It's God's heart that we're connected to him. We're fruitful. So if you're here this morning and maybe you've drifted, maybe you've been beaten down, maybe you're coming through a tough season, maybe you've lost your way and maybe your heart uh, is just a mess, know this and remember this. It's the heart of God to bring you close again and to lift you. Shut your eyes for a second. I don't know where you are. I don't need to know where you are. God does. Let him lift you. Psalm 145, 18 says this, you draw near to those who call out to you, listening closely, especially when their hearts are true. Right now, wherever you are, if that's you, just call out to him. Say, Lord, will you lift me and bring me close? Will you hold me? I just, I hear strong in my spirit right now. I just want to speak this over you as your eyes are shut. For some of you, God has allowed this season to show you not where God is at, but where you have been and how far you have drifted from him. And what he's doing in this season is bringing you close. He's drawing you close. He's bringing you in. You have been out there alone, isolated all by yourself. And God's heart is this. He is not mad at you. He is not upset with you. He is not disappointed in you. He just wants you to come home. So right now, come home. He's showing you. This is where I am. This is where you are. And you think that that way home is impossible, but it's not. God says it's not impossible. He welcomes you home with open arms. Some of you, you've had words that are stuck in your head that people have spoken to you. And, 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 and God says this right now, those are not my words. You need to let those go. All right, let's keep going. 
So the first thing he does is he props us up. If you're connected to the vine and you're not producing fruit, he props you up. The second thing he does is he prunes us. Ah, the pruning process of the Holy Spirit. Take a look at the passage. It says, I am a true sprouting vine, and the farmer who tends to the vine is my father, or the farmer who tends to the vine is my father. He cares for the branches connected to me by lifting up and propping up the fruitless branches and pruning every fruitful branch to yield a greater harvest. Did you see that? So what branches does God prune in this scripture? Which ones? The branches that are already preparing fruit. Now, sometimes when we think of pruning, you know, we think of God getting rid of like, you know, the spiritual freeloaders, right? I'm going to prune. We're going to get rid of the spiritual freeloaders because that's how, that's how God takes care of pruning. The freeloaders. How many of you know what a freeloader is? How many of you are connected to a freeloader? And don't point, don't look, don't scream out names. You know, Bill, Bill's a freeloader. Don't, don't scream out names, right? What is a freeloader? A freeloader is what? It's something or someone that doesn't carry their weight. Right? A freeloader. Isn't that great? <laughs> I want all the, no, I'm going to be quiet. I don't want to get any emails. I'll just be quiet. <laughs> See, I'm learning it's wisdom. It's wisdom. For example, in a Harris house, everything has a purpose. Everything has a purpose. It's the circle of life. Everything, everything has a purpose. It does. You know, like, for example, you know, my kids believe that, that, that their purpose, the reason they're here, the reason we, we, we had them, was so that they could do the manual labor that we do not want to do. Now, that is not the purpose, but it is a purpose. There was a reason why those farmers had like 72 children. You know what I'm talking about? Now, we need another name. We don't care about the name. Can they work the field? They can work the field. Get them out there. So the kids, they have their purpose. And then we have these other creatures that are freeloaders. And I don't mind a freeloading creature as long as they serve their purpose. So we've got two little miniature schnauzers, Domino and Jacks. And their main purpose in life is to protect the house from any outward attack, any, anything that may come and, and pose a threat to the Harris kingdom. That could be the Amazon guy. That could be the mail person. That could be a random kid in the neighborhood trying to get subscriptions. You would think that we are being attacked by Mars from outer space, and those two little guys, they, they just go bananas. Now, if you open that door, you come in. They got nothing past that. They're the alarm system. That's all that they are. That's why we pay them. That's why we walk them, just so they can bark. They have a purpose. Now, we have these other two creatures. My daughter came with us, but she came back. She brought with her. I, now, somebody told me this, and I should have prepared myself for this. They said, sometimes your kids will come back, and sometimes they bring people with them. So she didn't bring people with her. She brought animals with her. So she brought two cats. Now, they're nice cats. I'll give you that. They're, 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 they're nice. They're, they're, they're friendly. But, you know, I, when I think of a cat, I think of one of the greatest purposes a cat can, can fulfill is to make sure that our house is rodent-free. Is that, is that too much to ask for? It's not, right? So, um, you know, we had, we had this little thing, and I don't know why, I don't know how it got in, but we had, a, we had a, a little mouse that came to pay us a visit. You ever had a mouse come to pay your house a visit? It's getting cold outside, and we have food everywhere, so I'm thinking the mouse was like, I've hit the mother load. I'm, I'm just ready to go. 
I would watch this mouse run across the floor with our cats just looking at it. Every once in a while the tail would wag, you know, and I'd say, hey, you know, I've seen all the Tom and Jerry cartoons. You're supposed to go after this thing. And they look and go, nah. And then it just, you know, start to eat some more treats. And I'm like, these cats are freeloaders. You know, at least grab a mouse, do something. So thank goodness we have Toby John Harris. Toby John was able to corner the mouse one day. And, 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 and well, that's another story. <laughs> that's another story. I, I, it was just, it was, the operation was, was not poor. It was poorly planned. That's all I'm going to say. We don't like freeloaders. None of us do. This, when it comes to pruning, isn't that. God is not speaking to the spiritual freeloaders saying, nope, you're done. That's not what this process looks like. Jesus here is speaking to the fruitful ones, the good ones, the ones that are doing the stuff, the ones that are, that are spreading the gospel, the ones that are flowing in the spirit. These are the ones that he's talking about pruning. So how do you know that you're doing what God wants you to do? He prunes you, he cuts back in there, he makes things uncomfortable. But God, I'm doing everything you want, right? I got to make you more fruitful. That doesn't seem fair, does it? Cut off those bad things. Why does God do that to ones that, that produce fruit? Well, he wants you to be even more fruitful. Have you ever like, looked at the pruning process, what that is? This is what pruning is defined. Pruning defined is a trimming like a tree, a shrub, or a plant, by cutting away the dead branches or the overgrown branches or stems, especially to increase the fruitfulness and growth. So any branch that is dead connected to that living plant is, is, is pruned. Even fruitful branches have dead branches. Things in our life that grow contrary to the purpose and plan of God in our lives. Every believer has things that are growing within them that grow contrary to the purpose and plan of God in their life. Everybody does. Everybody has extra weight in their life that gives them no benefit. So what does God do when we produce fruit? For the fruitful believer, he cuts those things back. He cuts back the extra weight. Why? So that we can live freely in him. All believers carry weight. Some of you carry the extra weight of your past. Some of you carry the extra weight of your failures. Some of you carry extra weight of expectation. I have to be the smartest person in the room. No, you don't. Some of you carry weight of past pain and hurt. Things that in your heart have made you lesser. What does God do? He cuts those things back. Wrong expectations, wrong places. This is what Hebrews 12.1 says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance to the race that is set before us. You want to hear something? This is crazy. If you look at the Greek there, the actual Greek, when it talks about that weight, it actually talks about things that pierce your heart. Sometimes we think of the weight like extra, like baggage. He's talking about things that have pierced your heart. Throw off the things that have pierced your heart and run forward with him. So pruning removes the extra weight. But there's another aspect that's at work here according to the passage. God also deals with, with the fruitful branches, any branch, you know, the stuff in the branch that grows contrary to the health of the plant. So what does that mean? It means this. Sometimes as plants, branches, we veer. Sometimes we have things in our life that aren't bad, 
They're just not in, the, in alignment with the heart of God in the season that you're in now. Sometimes we, uh, we co-mingle our desires with the heart of God. Because you desire it in your heart, sometimes we equate our heart desires with God's heart desires. And sometimes they're not the same thing. Now, as a church and as people, as believers, when we do that, we start to slide into a different category. We start to become those people that Jesus talked about. You know, back in the day, those religious people that he'd say, you're putting heavy burdens on the people. That's not my heart. That's not, you know, what did he say about, his, about his, his, his yoke and his burden? My yoke is easy. My burden is light. The yoke was the teaching of the rabbi. My teachings are easy. We make it very complex. So complex that we have 33,000 different denominations. He said, my teaching is easy. My burden is light. You know how you're carrying God's burden? You know how you know if you're carrying it or not? If it's things crushing you and overwhelming you, it's not God's burden. Because his burden is light. Or it may be God's burden, but you're carrying it wrong. We have to be careful, beloved. For example, years ago, so I gave my heart to Christ. And they were doing this thing in Pittsburgh. They were doing this um, unified uh, thing with all the churches where they were going to go on the streets and preach the gospel. And it was going to be this great thing. And I was just a new believer. The guy that discipled me was a hard, hard guy. And he was black and white. There was, there was nothing in there at all. So one of the things that this, this, this big outreach was going to do all through Pittsburgh, we're talking thousands of people were going to do it, was they had these human videos. They play this song and these people do this. They'd act out these songs. And I was like, this is going to be cool, except this weird thing happened. They picked a secular song that they were going to do this thing to. That's right, a secular song. Can you believe a Christian was going to do something with a secular song? It was nuts. And I looked at this thing, I said, this ain't good, this ain't right. And I, I didn't want to be a part of it. In fact, not only did I not, did I not want to be a part of it, I'm, getting, I'm maybe in my faith two years. I declared it evil, wrong, and dumb. And I was so... You know, I was so uh, uh, convicted by it, I, I, I pulled myself back and I said, I'm not even going to participate in it. Have you ever done stuff like that? And I sat back with my arms folded and I waited for it to fail because I was right. Have you ever been right? Have you ever been so right you could do this? Hmm. Right? Or maybe, you know, you maybe, hmm. I don't know. <laughs> I apologize for that. <laughs> that was probably awful. Paul's like, we'll have to strike that from the thing, Dawson. So this weird thing happened. They did this song. They did this, this human video. I'm part of this group. And I am religiously, you know, my back is turned the other way. And they got done. And they gave the opportunity for people to come to know Christ. And a bunch of people came to God after they did it. And one of the ladies, they gave a testimony. She said, when I heard the words of that song, it was like Jesus was just knocking on the door of my heart. And I knew I had to run to him. So... You know, like, remember like the old good rap, the old good rap stuff? Like that? It was in that moment the Holy Spirit spoke to me. I think he started to prune me. He started to prune my understanding. And he said, son, do not call evil and bad what I call good. Do not put limitations on what I could do and what I can use. I am God, you are not. He spoke that strong to me. You know why? I was a hard-headed young Greek. And it was, like a, it was like a two by four that hit me in the head. And then he shifted something in me. This is what he shifted in me. He shifted in me, you know, the posture from looking 
on how everything could be bad, you know, looking behind trees for the failure points, and you said that wrong, and you did this wrong, and you did that wrong. He shifted my posture from looking for things on how they were bad in, in my heart trying to protect the church into the understanding and looking for the things that God could use to bring people into the church. It was a subtle shift, but it changed my life. You know what God did for me that day? He pruned me, and I became more fruitful. Then it came to this, Lord, what could we do and use to see people come to know you? Why do we do egg hunts? So we can love people extravagantly. But, but we, don't, we, don't, we don't get anything in the booth. We don't do this. You're right, we don't. You know what it is? It's a way for people to see our love. They'll know your mind by how you love each other. That's all that it is. I can tell you this right now. We would not be doing an egg hunt if God wouldn't have spoken to me 30 years ago when we had that human video thing. I want to encourage you, if you're producing fruit, don't do this. Know that God wants to use your fruitfulness. Why do you produce fruit? Because you have the posture of openness and humility. God can use you. Well, get ready. Because if you say yes to God, like we sang today, if you make room for God, he's going to prune you back and you're going to make even more fruit. Allow him to shift you. Don't be so rigid that God can't make you fruitful in every season. So what is fruit for us as a church? Seeing people coming back to God. That is why we dump the tank. That is why we exist. We don't exist to build beautiful buildings, even though this is beautiful. We don't exist because it just feels good when we hang out. We exist to see as many people coming to Christ as possible before Jesus returns. That's why we exist. That's why we dump the tank. And know this, beloved, as a church, as long as we stay with that posture, we're in good company because that's the posture of the Holy Spirit. That's the posture of God. You've heard me say this verse a billion times. It's one of the main rudders for doing what we do. 2 Samuel 14, 14 says this. All of us must die eventually. Our lives are like water spilled out on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. But God does not just sweep life away. Instead, he devises ways to bring us back when we've been separated from him. He did that with us, and he wants to do that with everybody that's around us. To bring people back when they've separated. So what does he do? He prunes the fruitful so that we can bring people to life. That's what he does. And we bear fruit. By the way, this isn't just about salvation either. This is also life in the spirit. Pruning us to be more fruitful. So when it comes to being fruitful, God does two things with us to produce fruit. He props us up. Those that aren't aren't producing fruit, he props you up. The second thing he does is he prunes us so you can be more, more fruitful. And then know this about fruit. The fruit that God produces in us is exponential fruit. It's exponential. As believers, we're called to produce exponential fruit. Look at the passage again. As you live in union with me as your source, fruitfulness will stream from uh, within you. When you live separated from me, you are powerless. Do you hear? I love the flow of that. Fruitfulness will just stream through you. In the kingdom, we produce fruit that's exponential and eternal. So what does that mean? Exponential means this. We don't produce fruit just one-to-one. It doesn't work like that. In the kingdom, from one seed comes exponential growth in everything, an exponential harvest. How many of you like tomatoes? How many of you hate tomatoes, but you love everything that tomatoes make? I don't understand that. Eat the sauce, but you don't like the tomato. I don't understand that. One tomato, you ready for this? 
One tomato, any one tomato that you have, has between 150 and 300 seeds. One tomato. Each seed has the potential to grow another tomato plant, to produce more tomatoes, and to have more seeds. Get the picture? God created tomatoes to grow exponentially. In the kingdom, we are built on exponential growth. How do we know this? When Jesus would talk about the parables, all the parables dealing with growth dealt with exponential growth. Mark 4.20 that we talked about a few weeks ago says this, but what is sown in good soil represents those who open their hearts and receive the message and their lives bear good fruit. Some yield a harvest of 30, 60, even 100 fold. It's beautiful. This means that everything in the kingdom is based on abundance. Now, last week, we talked about the fruit of the Spirit. God develops even the fruit of the Spirit in abundance. Why? So it will sustain you, and it can sustain somebody else. When God builds peace in your life, that peace goes beyond you. It goes into your environment. Have you ever had somebody come into your, into your space that's a curmudgeon? You know what a curmudgeon is? I'll show you. It's that person that, that, that brings everything down. Have you ever had anybody like that in your life? And when they come into a room, what do you do? Does it affect you? Of course it does. The same thing is true on the good things. If you come in and you're full of joy, you're full of peace, it affects people. It affects everybody around you. Everything that God does, he does in abundance. Colossians 1.10 says this. We pray that you would walk in ways true, uh, of true righteousness, pleasing God in every good thing that you do. Then you'll become fruit-bearing branches, yielding uh, to his life, and maturing uh, in the rich experience of knowing God in his fullness. So how do we experience this abundance of fruit in our lives as a church? Well, you experience it three ways. First, you experience fruitfulness personally. That means that the more connected you stay to Christ, he's the vine, you're the branches, the fruit of the Spirit will grow in your life. That means this, in your life you will experience love. In your life, you'll experience joy personally. In this life, you would be, you'll be a man and a woman of peace. You get to receive and benefit from all the fruits of the Spirit that have grown in your life. And again, you heard me just say a minute ago, that's not just, just enough peace to get you by. It's abundant peace. It's abundant joy. It's abundant gentleness self-control. All of those things, God grows in abundance in your life so that you can share them with others. He does. So we benefit from those personally in our faith. We benefit from the fruit of the Spirit provisionally. What does that look like? What is God's provision for us? Well, that is, that is our stuff, our money, the people that are connected to us. God blesses us with provision exponentially. He does. I don't know how to tell you this. He just does. If you follow God's principles when it comes to your stuff and your finances and all those things, God will take care of you and then give you more than enough than you need. Why? Because he's looking for vessels that he can use and trust to help others. Why would God bless you with abundance financially if you're stingy and you hold it all close? Do you think God cares about money? God is beyond money. He cares about people loving people. Here's the million dollar question. Can he trust you with abundance? Some of you struggle financially and you're like, oh, I don't understand why I don't get anything. And you don't, you don't tithe, you don't give. If, again, if God can't trust you with the little things, why is he going to give you big things? Don't we do that with people? How many of you, you know, you've had somebody work for you? 
If they can't do the little thing you give them, why would you make them president of the company? I'm not going to do that. I want to challenge you. If you're here today and, and your finances are rough, and you're like, Lord, I just, you know, I don't understand what's... Pray for God if there's a curse of God for him to break that curse and trust him. Do what he asked you to do. Tithe. The Bible says this in Malachi. Put him to the test and see what happens. I can promise you this. God will start to flow abundance in your life. Why? So you can keep it? Nope. So you can bless others. Let me let you know a little secret. I'm going to let the cat out of the bag here. Anybody, anything, you know, Rob and I, we made this little pact between us. Any kid that we had in youth ministry, anything that if, they're, if God's calling them to go on a mission field or do something like that, we were going to sow into it. Anybody. You ask, we're, just, we're going to sow into it. Now, here's the problem. You know, we, we've led some monster youth groups, like three, 400 people, and we carried you know, kids, and we carried that into, into ministry like this. So it's not like if, it's we're going to do it. Now, sometimes, you know, you get four or five kids come at you at the same time. We're all going to Guatemala. I'm like, well, that, that, that's great. And I'm thinking... That's okay, carry the two. Oh, oh no. We always get recentered, though. We say, Lord, we know this. We sow into your kingdom eternally. You're going to take care of all the rest. And I can promise you this all the money that we've already sowed into any kids doing that, God has brought back 10, 20 fold. Why? Because we sow into the kingdom. We give, we tithe. Why? Because I, you can't live without God like that. And God always takes care of our needs. Provision, do things the right way with Him. Fruit, and see what he does. The last thing is this. He brings fruitfulness to people. Who are people? Our relationships. Those that you hang out with. Those that you connect with. Every time you talk to somebody about your faith. Every time you just live your faith out loud. You plant a seed. And that seed is eternal. Do you know that? You plant a seed. In all of your relationships. Work relationships, school relationships, family relationships, you plant a seed. And let's just be real. You and I have no idea what those seeds might produce. You just don't. We don't have any clue. Take a look at this. Look at this next slide. You know what this is? This is the decision card from this young 15-year-old kid in North Carolina named Billy Graham. Bill, the Billy Graham. This is the actual card that was filled out the night he gave his heart to Christ as a 15-year-old in North Carolina. This is, that, that, the, that's his handwriting right there. Bill, that's his handwriting. This is the story of Billy Graham. In 1934, Mordecai Ham a Kentucky-born Baptist revivalist, came to Charlotte and he preached a powerful sermon. That night, Billy Graham, a 15-year-old kid, made a decision in that little church to follow God. You know what happened? A seed was planted in the heart of Billy Graham. And God, and he watered it. And did amazing things with that little seed, did he? You ready for this? Hold on to your seat. Billy's gone now. He died. But while he was here, Billy Graham, that little kid from North Carolina, shared the gospel, you ready for this? With 215 million people. 215 million people, a seed. I would say that's a pretty good return on fruit. Huh? Fruitfulness for us. Fruit for us, you know. Guys, you have no idea what that seed is going to do. You want to hear something nuts? All of us are called to do the same thing. 
Is there another Billy Graham sitting in here tonight? Is there another Mother Teresa? We're all called to plant seeds in the lives of people. We do that by bearing fruit. The fruit that God gives us when we follow his path connected to the vine, he blesses you personally, he blesses you provisionally, and he blesses us with the fruit of people. I want to encourage you. This is not the season to step back. This is the season to lean in and allow God to prune so that we can be the most fruitful that we can be for him. When I think of of fruit, I think of the ultimate seed that was planted for us, the cross. Jesus believed in you enough that he went home. And he says, God, they got it. They got it. And here we are 2,000 years later, fumbling along, but we still got it, right? Bow your heads with me. I just want you to take a minute before we have communion. And I just want you to ask the Holy Spirit this question. Lord, am I producing the fruit that you want me to produce? If something's missing or disconnected, show me, Lord. Talk to the Holy Spirit and listen to me. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. We hope this met you exactly where you are. To learn more about us, head to our website at tccde.com or follow us on social media at Trinity Community Church. TCC, a home for you.